Welcome back to Reading for a Change, a podcast from Moody Publishers, where we take an inside look at the books transforming our lives and shaping the world. This is season two, episode two. Uh, I am so thrilled to be back with you. Uh, Also back is Trillia Newbell. uh, And our theme for this season is loving and serving our neighbors. Um, And last time we talked to Trillia uh, about the writing process. Uh, about the different genres she's tackled, uh, the different books that she's written, and how she goes about writing, and some of her favorite and least favorite parts of that process. Um, and I want to kind of continue that conversation in a slightly different vein with you, Trillia. First of all, Trillia, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> Thanks for joining us again. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of writing out there. Some authors um, are writing the kinds of books that just help people escape. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think of all the beach reading out there, maybe it's like romance or the whodunit books and, uh, that, that help people, you know, just be entertained and, and amused. Your writing obviously is very different. Uh, you have something much bigger in mind. Like you said, last time, uh, on this podcast, you talked about how you see all of your writing, even the different genres and topics that you address under that umbrella of discipleship. So you're trying to encourage people, you're trying to inspire them. Uh, and a lot of your writing has been exhortative. You're, you're promoting uh, a biblical value, um, urging people not to fall prey to fear or discouragement. Uh, in your opinion, what kind of writing is best at doing that, of affecting that change, of kind of moving people? Well, I guess it depends on what you mean by what kind of writing. So do you mean um a trade book, Bible study, or do you mean poetry, uh, mm. feature story? So what do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah, that, <laughs> no, that, that's a great question. Um, I guess I'm talking more about, you know, is it more the kind of book that's like really research based and you're trying to persuade them with a lot of information or is it more of that kind of first person approach where you say, Hey, this is what happened to me. Uh, and I yeah. understand both can be effective, but in your experience, what have you found uh, makes okay. the most impact? It seems like storytelling in some way go gets to the heart. So I think when, when you're expository, when you're exposing on uh, scripture, then at some point relating it in a story form has, has seemed to really uh resonate with my readers in particular and so um so i try to do that i try to write or or share scripture uh teach what god's word says plainly as plainly as possible and then um relate it in a way that is either through a story or as i'm telling it um so that could be my own first person story or it could be the story of others it doesn't necessarily have to be it could be an illustration it doesn't have to be um mine or someone else's it could just be an illustration a think of it this way kind of um story so storytelling i think has does capture now i love i don't like statistics but i do like academic type books. And I think they can be effective as well when it comes to learning and discipleship. Um, But story is what I find to be one of the most effective means of 
of um, getting to the heart. Not, yes. And, and you don't always you can do that also with just a plain Bible study because they're if they're getting in. If they're diving in, they the Holy Spirit will work. I believe that. Mm-hmm. Yes. No. And you see this so clearly when you're speaking, because, you know, when I'm speaking and um, I start telling a story, like you said, maybe it's my story, maybe it's someone else's. All of a sudden, if people aren't engaged, they re-engage. You see them kind of look at you and, you know, we're just wired for stories. So I think there is something powerful about that. Uh, And like you said in the last podcast, too, I think your approach is really uh, disarming because you don't come in as the expert. Okay, I've got this figured out. I've got this topic mastered. And now I'm going to tell you, dear reader. Uh, what you should do or no. <laughs> um, you you kind of go, hey, listen, I'm a fellow pilgrim. Uh, I'm coming yeah. alongside you here and and learning this stuff too. And I think that's really, like I said, disarming and winsome uh, for readers and kind of it makes it okay for them to not know everything and to change as well. Um, I'm wondering if you've gotten, uh, if you've had an experience with your writing where you've gotten some pushback. So people have challenged you and said, oh, I don't think that's right. Or you know, took exception to something that you've written? And if so, how did you respond? Hmm, I have not. I, I, I cannot remember getting an extreme amount of pushback based on just my writing. So they're writing, hmm. reading something in my book or reading something in a Bible set and, and they disagree strongly and have come after me as a result. I, I haven't experienced a lot of that. I have. And, and I, yeah, I, I think I stay pretty close, try to stay pretty close to the scriptures. And maybe that's why I'm not sure. But, um, but I have, when I've spoken about race in particular, mm. um, based on my book, I, I don't know if, if people are just bolder, um, or or not bolder because usually in in front of someone they're not as bold but they have questions that are a little bit more pointed or or they might reveal um that they disagree or so i think i think i've had a lot more pushback when i've either when i've spoken about it or maybe i on twitter which twitter is just <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people are crazy, but I, I don't know. So I don't. So so with that said, I I I would say I, I haven't. One of the th- the things that I decided to do do early on after United is I never read any of my reviews. So whether they're good oh, or they're, interesting, yep, it's really bizarre. But whether they're good or they're bad, I don't read them. It doesn't matter who who writes it. I just I don't read it. I do take feedback from people from a good faith feedback if if someone my editor or a friend or but I don't read reviews because um I think I think it's Tim Keller that said don't let success go to your head and don't let failure go to your heart. And oh, so, so good. it is so good. He's just great at lots of things, but those liners, I think. And um, and so I want to be really careful if I'm going to keep going. <laughs> if I let if I read all the good reviews, then I'm I'm I, 
I'm, I don't know if I, I'm, I'm afraid I won't grow. I may, I, you know, I mm. may be able to take all the praise and be okay with it, but I may, it may damage my ability to receive criticism. And then if I read and see all the criticism, then what, I don't know if I would keep going. So I've, I have people that speak into my life and who read my work and I take those to heart. And, and if someone emailed me and said something, I would, um, but I, so that's just my own rule. Some people that might be terrible idea, but for me, it's been helpful so that I can stay faithful <laughs> to what God has called me to do. Um, as long as my family and my pastor and those friends continue to b- believe that it is useful and et cetera. Yes. Well, here, I got your, your Amazon page up right here. I can read the review, <laughs> reviews to you <laughs> and just sabot- sabotage the whole thing. No, that's I think hilarious. that's great. I think that's great because it's sort of a no-win situation. Um, I do read the reviews on my books, uh, but it is sort of like either it's going to puff you up or it's going to make you feel pretty lousy. And so I can see, I think the same thing too, incidentally, about your Amazon ranking. Oh, now, yes. for those of you who oh, are authors, you're like, well, what's an Amazon <laughs> ranking? But if you scroll, if you, if you go to your book on Amazon, you scroll down, there's a little <laughs> ranking that shows you how many, you know, what position your book is in all the books in the world. Uh, so if it's like at 10,000, that means there are 10,000 books that are currently selling better than yours. Uh, and you don't want to get tethered to that because, uh, it's very fickle and uh, it's just not good for your it soul. It changes every day. It changes like <laughs> it changes, every, oh, it changes hour. every hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that has been a temptation. I will confess um, that it, when your book first comes out, it's just you go to Amazon and you look, okay, is right. anyone buying it? Does it look like it's moving at all? And, and I've had, it's, and it does not, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> it will it will it will i will either be thrilled or i will be totally in despair <laughs> so, oh, so true so i can't do it i can't look at amazon those rankings <laughs> because i my heart is too prone to want to worship other things yes. and so so i can't do it so that is but it is that that is my temptation not reading my reviews just seeing oh did anyone buy it i don't right. you know and so anyways yeah. oh so true and then uh, to make matters worse recently i found this thing online it's like a calculator where you can punch in your amazon ranking and then it tells you how many books that means you're selling per day and per month and okay so, my first I go, question oh, i didn't need that does that even <laughs> First of all, Amazon's so tight. Sorry, we're going to have a little conversation here for you all listeners. No, but Amazon is, Amazon is so tight-lipped. I just don't trust it. Does that calculator really work? Right. One, yeah. you know, yeah. because they're so Who tight-lipped knows? about it. Who knows? But two, what is it? Because I'd like to look. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, well, truly, I know your your most recent book, uh, which I haven't had the opportunity to read, but I know is very deeply personal for you. Um, how does your personal experience uh, and your the challenges that you've gone through play into what topics that you decide to tackle? Yeah, so you kind of nailed it when you said, well, you repeated what I said, that I'm not an expert in anything. So because that I'm not an expert, I want to 
I prayerfully consider, okay, what do I have some knowledge in? <laughs> so what yeah. what has God given me a a some knowledge in? So so that's how I kind of start, which if you look at my books, they generally are something I have either struggled with or experienced or a Bible study. I think anyone can write a Bible study, um, but I have been trained in some ways to do that. So I wanted to 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 do that to serve hopefully the church and um and so I think that that's for me I I think about okay what is it something that is kind of burning on my heart or a desire on my heart because it you really don't want to write something that you don't want to write about it's really hard to do that um and then I think what is what is something that I know something about and that might be useful for others? And so I just, sacred endurance is something that over the last couple of years, I feel like we, we've seen um, the, the church and by the church, I mean, people in the church just struggling, struggling with evangelicalism, struggling with enduring, struggling with uh, questioning all sorts of things. Um, and then my age, uh, it sounds like you and I, Drew, might be similar age range, 40-ish age range. for me. Yeah. Okay, 41. And oh, so, you got to respect your elders. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> You've got one year on me in marriage and one year on me in age. So there we go. Wow. So, so this this age range i've just seen marriages are falling apart people are getting sick um mm. kids are becoming prodigals it's like all over the yeah. place lots of hard things and so sacred endurance is not written from the perspective of someone who has endured because i'm still running my race but from the perspective of someone who is enduring and has all her friends enduring and all of it seems like evangelicalism trying to figure out how to endure. And so I'm, I wanted to encourage the church in this because we are, this is something that we're walking through right now. So, so again, it's something that I'm walking through that, I, that I, um, what I'm learning about, I'm re what, what does God's word say about this? And, um, and so I wanted to, to write on it. So yes, the answer is I do write on topics that I am familiar with um typically i don't typically or have some sort of passion for you there are some subjects that i know i will never touch um even though i might have some interest in i just i don't have enough to try to sit down and write 40,000 words or it's better if i just pray for people on that topic i'll just pray um and so i i will pray instead yeah. Like you said, I mean, writing a book is a big undertaking <laughs> and, and so yeah. you need to be passionate about it. That's a long time to be bored of a topic, uh, just because you think, oh, maybe people will be interested in this topic. You really have to be passionate about it. I think it is better when it intersects with your own experience as well. Uh, so you can bring some kind of compassion and, and understanding to the topic. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's just excellent. Um, well, I want to shift gears a little bit, jump into our segment that we call the big picture. Uh, and this is where we take kind of a broader view at something that's that's somewhat related. Um, uh, maybe this is a little little different, but something certainly that I've seen emerge as a challenge in the last few years. And some people call this outrage culture. 
this idea that everyone's yeah. just always angry all the time, right? Um, and that that if you aren't angry, that um, somehow you are, um, you know, complicit or um, insufficiently concerned about certain topics. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, first of all, truly, I just love to get your opinion of, do you see outrage culture or, or this, this kind of, um, anger that we see online as a huge problem and where does it come from? Yes, I do see it as a huge problem and it comes from our broken hearts. <laughs> mm, I just, yeah. um, I, I think we have, and I, I think it's in particular, well, it's not just Twitter. We can't blame Twitter. I think we just are quicker to speak, quicker to judge. And I, I just don't, I don't really know where it birthed or when it started. And it seems like we're outraged about everything and nothing at all at the same time. It just, I right. don't, yeah. And, and one of the things that frustrates me, if I may say, about this is that when it's time to really be outraged about something, we we might hear silence or we might uh, yeah. talk about it. For, yeah. Or we might talk about it for a minute and then we move on because of outrage culture where we're outraged all the time. Nothing gets this the the platform it deserves. And we move on from things so quickly. And um and so I think that um it's a, it's a it's a problem, especially for Christians, because we're called to be to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're called to be slow to speak, um, slow to anger, love people. But we're just we're failing in this area, at least in the public sphere, which is a sh it's a shame. And and I've done it, too. So I'm not pointing the finger. I we've all, all probably at some point done this if we are on social media. Of course, outrage culture goes beyond social media, but I think we're seeing it manifest itself there. Yeah, no. And that's such a great point that if you're outraged about everything, right, the, the, the most like silly incidental thing, then when something comes along that you really should be outraged about, um, it's it sort of, you know, you, you, maybe you don't have enough uh, righteous anger left over, or it sort of um, belittles the real causes by being outraged about every single thing. And it is so funny because I think you're right. It's, this isn't, you know, you can't lay the blame uh, totally at the feet of Twitter or any sort of social media platform, but it is funny. Twitter does seem to lend itself it to does. that. I saw a humorous uh, tweet actually by someone saying, this is Twitter. Uh, someone says, I love horses. And someone says, I find that view very problematic. <laughs> and then someone, someone else says his silence about cows is telling, I don't know, it's something like that. <laughs> it's like, it does, almost, <laughs> it doesn't matter what the opinion is or what the issue is. Someone somewhere is going to be outraged about it. Um, and yeah, the danger is then that, that leaves us sort of, I don't know, complacent when it comes to the things that maybe deserve our indignation and anger um and yeah you addressed it but that was kind of my next question is uh the the tricky thing is that certain things should make us angry uh but when we're angry about everything uh that complicates things so i guess my question is how do we identify those things which are worthy of our concern and i don't want to say outrage but you know things that that should um kind of incense us and go 
hey, something needs to change here. I want to I want to get behind this and change things. How do you identify those causes? Well, I would say that everyone has limited capacity to care. In other words, we can all empathize, but we can't all carry. Um, Only God has the ability and the to to carry every single worry. So I want to, before I say anything, just kind of, we need to relieve ourselves of the thought that we have, we are God, that we have the ability to be even upset about everything because we can't. And that's part of the problem. Um, we Only God can truly care for everything that is so sad and m- mournful in the world. So one, mm-hmm. we aren't God. So the other thing is, I think we can though ask, okay, what does God care about? And th- we can then attach our cares to those things. Now, that doesn't mean Again, that doesn't mean that we have to, there's going to be some people who may have a certain issue that has affected their lives and so affected them that that is, that is all they can think of. They're not going to be able to care about that topic with the same kind of gusto and desire and passion as they are going to be able to care about your passion. So I think we need to give people a little bit of freedom. So I'm not, I I can't, I want to be really careful not to say, okay, this is what you need to care about. And this is what you need to care about. Because I know for sure that the things that I care deeply about are not going to be the exact same things that you, Drew, care deeply about. Now, Mm -hmm. the underlying scripture may be the same. For example, we all should care about human dignity, the Imago Dei. So we're going to, we're going to care. Now, how it plays out, it it may be different. you, You may be on the corner, um, of a a pregnancy crisis center where I may be mm. marching on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I, I care just as equally about both topics and a, I care very deeply about the unborn. So I would also probably be on that <laughs> corner with the yeah. pregnancy crisis center, but I'm not going to dictate who, where you need to be on that certain day. I I think that yeah, right. so I think that we we can but both both topics are under the umbrella of human dignity. And so we need to just be really careful about um how we judge others based on what they are passionate about and their capacity to care because we're not God and their capacity to serve in their capacity to speak out. Um, And so I wish that everyone cared for the unborn. I think every, I personally think everyone that should be on everyone's radar to care about the, 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 the mother. I have a holistic pro-life ethic. So I would care for the baby 
the mother and mm-hmm. the whole everyone care about what she's how she's going to feed the baby care about where you know where they're going to get close i care about the whole person and the whole but but i i'm not going to say drew you need to write five articles about this and speak out on twitter because i have so i sure. so i would just think that yeah. we've got to be careful there yeah you know you're right and and there is that common denominator of Okay, we need to all care about the Imago Day, but yeah, for some people that may mean being really active in pro-life causes. For other people, fighting racism. For other people, maybe fighting sex trafficking. Yes. Um, and the the hard thing is you can't be at the front lines of all of those issues. There comes a point which you have to say, like you said, I'm not God. Uh, I'm going to have to strategically neglect not not that you don't care or support in some way, but certain causes so that you can focus on other ones. And I think that's okay. But I think we're in a time where it's like, if you're not doing something about everything, uh, somehow you're compromising. And I think you're right. That's, that's not accurate. Um, well, yeah, thank you. That that's really enlightening. I think that's kind of a, a current thing that is not going away anytime soon, outrage culture. And it's so hard to resist being pulled into that and, and kind of responding to issues as they come up appropriately but soberly at the same time Uh, our last uh segment here uh we're calling have a little heart and this fits in with uh the theme of season two which is loving and serving our neighbors uh last time trillia you talked about um uh, a really cool initiative that you and your family are doing uh the website is called um sjboutique.net and basically what they're doing is uh, it really went to uh, Rwanda and and met with women there that are making this beautiful jewelry um, and uh, they're selling it through this website. Um, and so it's a great cause. It's beautiful jewelry. And I just love that because it's a creative way of helping your neighbor, even though, of course, in this case, the neighbors are in uh, Rwanda. Um, I wanted to share a little bit uh, about something I did actually just yesterday. Um, and don't be too impressed because I've never done this before. This is a brand new thing mm-hmm. for me. Uh, but what I did um, is I went with a group of, of folks that went into a prison uh, here about 20 minutes from my house and uh, just handed out some literature, uh, some cards and some cookies. Uh, and I have to admit that I was a little apprehensive. I've never been inside a prison before. Um, and uh, it's funny because, you know, when you first come there, they, they kind of read you this legal uh, boilerplate like, okay, we just have to tell you at the outset, you, there is a possibility that you could be assaulted or there could be a hostage situation. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the, the lady turned to me and she goes, listen, I've worked here a long time. It's never happened. Don't worry about it. Right. But still just kind of this reminder that, oh, okay, this is a different sort of context. And then you get buzzed in, like, you know, go past the chain link fence with the barbed wire on top and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I think I was most nervous, not about my safety or anything. I was just kind of nervous about, okay, is this going to be awkward? Like, what do I say to these guys? Uh, and it was all guys like 700, uh, guys in this prison. Um, but you know what? It was just an awesome experience. And it's, I know it's a cliche, but I felt like it helped me more than it helped them. Uh, because it was just an opportunity to kind of shake their hands. I had the best job, of course, of handing out cookies. So that (laughs) was easy. Uh, who doesn't like cookies? Um, but you just are reminded of, you know, a, a few of them and some of the guards talked about how few visitors they get. Um, and 
and how grateful they were just to see outsiders, uh, even though they didn't know me or the other people with me, uh, just that someone remembered them and, and, and took a few hours to come in and, and hang out with them. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a blessing. I'm just really glad I did it. And, um, I kind of got dragged there at first and I was like, Ooh, I don't know if I'm cut out for this, but I was just really grateful that I did it. And it's, you know, an example of some people that we, we tend to forget mm -hmm. about. They're just invisible to us because they're locked up and, and we may drive by the prison, but not really think about it. So it was a good experience. Grateful. I did it. Uh, grateful for the opportunity. Okay. Well, that's it. Uh, another uh, episode in the books. Thank you, Trillia, for joining us again. That was a lot of fun. Yes. Um, join us. We've got a great lineup of guests. So kind of the format going forward is uh, Trillia and I are going to kind of take team the hosting thing. We're going to have some really exciting guests on to talk about the unique and creative ways uh, that these people are uh, loving and serving their neighbors. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for listening. Again, I want to urge you to go, uh, you know, wherever you listen to your podcast, if it's Apple or Google, and leave a review, just, you know, or even a quick rating. It helps us out a lot. Every time you do that, you get rewards in heaven. Uh, no, that's not true. But uh, <laughs> uh, we, we appreciate it anyway, because uh, it kind of helps us get the podcast bumped up and, and in front of other people. So that, that means a lot to us. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, God bless. And until next time, keep reading. Keep reading.